Welcome to Radical Simple Living, episode 22. Um, it's a rare afternoon edition today. It's so snow-covered at the moment in Sweden, in southern Sweden anyway, even though it's March. I'm indoors, the cats are indoors, you can hear some cat squabbling in the background there. And... Um, I thought I'd sit down and have a word with you. I hope that's okay. The snow has been deep. The sunshine is bright though. There's wonderful sunshine being reflected into the kitchen here. The fire is going in the background. And here we are and we're ready to talk about today's uh, subject, which is a very important one, which is about simple cooking. Now, be aware of two things. No recipes will be changing hands during this podcast. Uh, I'm not in the business or giving you recipes, partly because you don't need recipes from me. The internet is full of recipes. The bookshops and magazine stands are overloaded with recipes. Most people have in their collection more recipes than they're ever going to use in the rest of their life. So this is about cooking from the idea of how you can make it simpler and how you can put it really at the heart of your radical, simple life. Now, I should tell you before I get started that normally before I start to do these podcasts, as you know, they're not rehearsed, they're not even scripted, they're mainly, I think, earlier that day or in bed the night before, I'll do a podcast tomorrow and then I try and think about the subject. And I wanted to talk about simple cooking today and I often start by trying to find a picture that I'm going to use on social media to promote the podcast. And I thought I'd have a picture of somebody cooking in the kitchen. And there we are. There's hundreds of vintage photographs of people cooking in the kitchen. That's no problem. The only thing is they're all women because women traditionally were the ones that cooked. Uh, I don't think that's true anymore. Uh, I think uh, men and women cook now. But I think in the past, it was always considered to be women. So all these hundreds of pictures of women in the kitchen, which is fine because historically, the bulk of cooking has been done by women. But then I thought, I'll look, I'll put into the search engine, man cooking in the kitchen. And what came up? Um, there's, the word vintage goes before it because I want out of copyright pictures that are, are quite old. And there's lots of men, either as professional chefs with a chef hat on and one of those moustaches that chefs grow, looking highly competent over some great cauldron of something or other. Or there were men making a complete mess of whatever they were trying to do in the kitchen while their wife presumably looks on with a gentle smile on her face from the doorway at, at him being unable to cook anything. And for too long, cooking has been a bit like that, hasn't it? It's always been regarded as, oh, some people can cook and they're very competent and wonderful and can deliver wonderful food. And some people can't. And if you put them in a kitchen, they'll be bumbling idiots and they'll get things wrong and won't know the difference between a, a, a washing machine and a cooker. That kind of thing. So I want to dispel those ideas right at the start and say that as far as I'm concerned, everybody can cook. 
that includes children of a certain age. It certainly includes all men and all women. It includes elderly people, people on their own, people in families. Everybody can cook. Now, I'm not saying that some of them won't be better cooks than others. And for obvious reasons, some of them will be more experienced cooks than others. But they can all cook. Everybody can do it. There's nothing magical about it at all. So it's a skill that we all have to have, I think. If you have children in your house, um, give them the freedom to cook things in the kitchen. Under supervision, you don't want them to hurt themselves if they're very young. But have that done. And, you know, let them help with food. Let them see how food is cooked. Let them come and join you when you're cooking the food so they can learn things that way. They may grow up to be better cooks than you are. Who knows? Or they may not. Now, why is cooking so important and what is the link between cooking and simplicity? Well, there are several reasons for that. Is Cooking is the place where you take all these raw ingredients that you've got from shopping or that you've produced yourself on your land or that you've procured in some way. You bring them into your kitchen and you turn them into a meal for yourself and for your family and maybe for visitors. Now notice I'm saying you turn them because I'm thinking that simple cooking means buying ingredients and cooking with them. Simple cooking isn't really taking the lid off a microwavable meal and, and putting it in the microwave. That, that's not cooking. Um, no more than flower arranging is gardening. You know, it's one of these things where putting food on a plate that looks nice is fine but cooking the food to put on the place that looks nice is a, a whole different exercise than just buying that food pre-prepared or going to a restaurant and seeing that food. By cooking the food, you're doing something rather special. Why is it special? Well, because it's one way you show people you love them, isn't it? By cooking for them. By cooking for your partner, by cooking for your family. You're showing them you love them. You're also showing them an idea of what home is about. If your children grow up getting to love the home-cooked foods that you provide for them, that doesn't go away when they leave home. That's something they want to come back for occasionally. That is something they'll remember. And when they have families of their own, it's something they will want to emulate. So there's an important cultural uh, aspect to cooking as well, which means that you need to pass things on. It's also the kitchen, and the kitchen is the centre of the home. It's certainly the centre of this home because it's the warmest room in the house. So cats and humans know where they're well off in the kitchen. But the kitchen is a sort of um, spiritual centre of the home too. It's where things come together, it's where food is made, and it's important. It's a very important thing. Now, notice that nothing I'm saying is about eating a food because there's another podcast about that. I've done Simple Eating a few podcasts ago. I can't remember the number at the moment, but if you scroll back through previous episodes, you'll find one about Simple Eating, which is about the importance of people sitting down together and eating food. This is definitely about the preparation of that food. And the first thing we have to say is that the preparation of food takes time. It takes time to grow food. 
it takes time to shop for food, it takes time to peel vegetables, it takes time to cook, it takes time to roast and grill and do all of these things. But that time isn't time wasted, it's time spent producing something worthwhile. And something worthwhile means creating a meal that you and your family are going to like, which you maybe couldn't get from the shop. There's no point, to my mind, in trying to cook to replicate restaurant food. Home cooking isn't restaurant cooking. Home cooking is as good as restaurant cooking. It might even be better. Not better because it's more sophisticated, but better because it can take account of what everybody wants to eat, and that's fine. And it does take time to do that. So the first thing we want to talk about is leaving enough time to cook. Cooking should never be rushing into the kitchen. Now, if you find yourself rushing home from work and rushing to get some cooking done and rushing to get the meal on the table, take a long think of what all the rush is for. Wouldn't it be better to present your family with a piece of fruit or something when they come home from school to keep the appetite at bay and delay the eating of the evening meal for an hour later? Uh, to give you a chance to cook it properly and to lay the table properly and all those things that we said in the Simple Eating podcast that were so important. So do take your time and do plan. And do know in advance who's doing the cooking. You don't want, if you're in a partnership, you don't want to be, oh, I thought it was your idea, your job to cook tonight, or oh, I thought I was cooking tonight, or oh, neither of us thought we were cooking. You don't want that. So either make some rules up. Now the rule can be that one person, the person that gets home first in the evening, or the person that's based at home, cooks in the workday, weekday evenings, and the person that isn't home in time gets to cook at weekends. That would work. If you're both home at the same time, you could do a rota of who cooks. If you've got very young babies in the house, obviously cooking the evening meal clashes with getting the baby ready for bed. So try and share it out so that it works really, really well. Above all, if it's your job to be cooking, you're the person that is in the know about what's going to be cooked. And it's your job to make sure that food is there and that you've shopped for it or you've got it from the garden or whatever you've got to do. And you don't want any arguments about whose job it was to cook. So a rotor or some way of doing that. I don't know what it is. One of the ways you could do it is by having a little armband. You know these little sort of silicon bands that people wear around their wrists? We'll get one which is a, a, an easy to remember colour. And in the morning say, who's going to be cooking tonight? And they wear the band all day to remind them it's their job to cook tonight. So they don't forget. They might need to shop a little bit. They might need to get going as soon as they get in. But it doesn't want to be a shock or a surprise. It doesn't want to be, oh, no, we can't. Nobody's got a meal ready. Let's just do a takeout. That's not what you want. Okay. Now, it wouldn't be a radical, simple living podcast, would it? Unless it had... A quote in it and there's lots of quotes about cooking because generally speaking the people that write cookbooks can get a little bit um, enthusiastic about what they're doing and this is a quote from Nigel Sater a, a, a British cook and it says good kitchens 
are not about size, they're about ergonomics and light. And that's important. Now, you, you may be lucky enough to have a kitchen with wonderful natural lighting coming from outside. But even so, some of the time you're cooking, it's going to be dark, especially if, like me, you live in Sweden. Um, so think about electric light and the ergonomics of it, yes. You need to have a, a place to dish up. You need to have a place to cook. You need to have a place to prepare. You need to have easy reach all the things you need. And if your kitchen doesn't work quite as well as it should, have a good think about that. Think about the ergonomics. Think, why am I always walking around from this place to another? Why is the, uh, why is the, the refrigerator over there and the bench is there? Why do, all these things you can do something about. Now, if you've got a, a small kitchen, in some ways it's more difficult, but in other ways it's easier because you can almost stand on the spot and cook. I've cooked in some very small kitchens in my time, and I had one that was very small, and I actually managed to stand still and do all the cooking because the cooker's there, the sink's there, everything's just around you. You just had to turn around occasionally. So have a think of your kitchen, have a look, and make sure it's going to work. Right, and then... Decide what sort of room your kitchen is going to be and consider the way the kitchen feels. Now, perhaps you eat in your kitchen, perhaps you have a separate dining room, or maybe, uh, like in this house, most of the time eating takes place in the kitchen, but some of the time it takes place in the dining room. So think about that in advance. If you are going to eat in the kitchen, try and make it a joyous place. You don't want to make it, you know, you don't want people sitting down to eat with chaos in the air. So try and clean up as you go along when you're cooking. I know that's easier said than done, especially if things get a bit chaotic. But try and do that. Try and have everything ready to hand when you start. Now, you should get a whole lot of joy from your cooking. Cooking should not be a chore, ever. Because if it's a chore, that means you're cooking the same thing too often. So try and vary it a little bit. Now, I'll talk a little bit later about ways to save money. But um, if it's a chore, you're doing something wrong. It should be joyous. It should have a little bit of shalom about it, a little bit of peace. Um, uh, uh, it should be a very important act. One of the more important acts of your day is cooking the evening meal, for instance. Jewish families have rules about their kitchen. Um, they like to keep things in line with their spiritual beliefs. And you might like to also. Um, I'm not suggesting, unless you're Jewish, you run a kosher kitchen. But kosher in your terms. Have things you don't allow in the kitchen. Do you want... Excuse me, I've got to stop. A, it's all right, they changed their mind. <laughs> um if you have pets, do you want to feed the pets in the kitchen? Or do you want to feed them in a, a scullery or an outhouse or somewhere else? Do you want uh, things in the kitchen which aren't to do with cooking and eating? If you have got a way, I've said before, of getting noisy machinery out your kitchen, do it. If you can't do it, make sure it's all turned off when you're cooking. I mean, you don't want to be cooking with a washing machine going in the background try and organize your time in such a way that those things don't happen and try and decide what the cleanliness rules are for the kitchen 
Do you want people to wash their hands before they come in the kitchen? Do you want people to take their shoes off before they come in the kitchen? Do you want people to do this? Do you want people to do that? Whatever you do, decide what the rules are and make sure everybody lines up with those things. Now, rules needn't be draconian, but rules should always be to make the meal a pleasant event and to make everything nice beforehand. And if you want to get joy out of cooking, you want to think about those things. So decide how, what things are allowed in your kitchen and what aren't allowed in your kitchen. And if you're the main cook, if you're the person that does the bulk of the cooking, you're the person that gets to come up with the bulk of the rules. You can introduce democracy in it, but I would suggest, if you're the main cook, a degree of benevolent dictatorship is possibly the best way forward. So think carefully about that first of all. Now, what are you going to cook? Well, it's up to you. It's up to you. But you should have some ideas about what you want to achieve by the meal. Firstly, it should be a healthy meal. Now, what we mean by healthy is you can, well, go and have a look at a book about it. There's lots of them. But basically, you should ensure that your meal contains as many fresh ingredients as possible. And they should be of good quality and they should be suitable for your family to eat. When you're buying vegetables, try and make sure you get a good range of colours on your plate. A, because it will make the food look nicer, but B, we know that micronutrients are often things like anthocyanins or beta-carotins, and these are the kind of things that give lots of colours to vegetables. So a good rule of thumb, if you like rules of thumb, is make sure everybody gets something green on their plate, and make sure somebody gets something red on their plate every time in the way of vegetables, that is. Now, you will get children who don't like to eat green things. You will even get children that don't like to eat red things. You may be unlucky enough to have a child in your family that won't eat green things or red things. But have them on the table. Try and accustom them to them. Um, I have a, a son who won't eat tomatoes. For shame, I won't name him. Uh, in case he has to hang his head low. Um, I've tried, we've tried uh, for years and years and years to get him to eat tomatoes, and he doesn't like them. So I make sure he always has red peppers on the plate. Okay, they're not as good as tomatoes in terms of the lycopenes, this essential ingredient that's in tomatoes, which is really important for male health, but they're red, so that's something. There's another, I've spoken previously about free eating where people dish up for themselves on the plate and I would recommend that. Um, I will just stop, yeah, I just stopped to check that the podcast on simple eating is episode 19. Episode 19, simple eating. Um, but you will realise the ideal plate works something like this. About half the plate, and of course it might be mixed up sometimes, so you have to do the arrangement in your head. The ideal plate should contain about half of it being uh, made up of fresh vegetables. Um, that doesn't include starchy vegetables, that's fresh vegetables, beans or peas or asparagus or, or whatever you care for. Um, about a quarter of the plate should be something starchy, 
pasta, potatoes, um, any of those other things, bulgur, wheat, rice, whatever. And about a quarter of the plate should be taken up with protein. Now, you haven't got to serve it all on one plate. You can sort of say, well, I want the protein and the, uh, uh, the carbohydrate mixed together. That's fine, you can do that. But that's what you need to keep in your head about the proportions of what you should be eating. If your food is fresh, if your food is not overcooked, or if some of it is raw, your family will be getting so many vitamins and minerals that they're healthy. You won't notice, oh, they're looking really healthy after that meal yesterday. But in 10 years' time, you will have noticeable effects on their health. So eating is important for health. Now, what are you going? That's that's what you're going to dish up basically. But how are you going to get your food? Well, as well as fresh things, you need to keep an eye on how many other things you've got in the house. And I want to say a word or two here about something else that should be in your house, which is a store cupboard. Now, there are some people who are listening here who consider themselves preppers. And they will have, uh, you know, a food store to last them for X number of weeks or X number of months, or in some cases, X number of years. Some of you won't have that, and some of you will be constrained by the amount of space you have. But it's a good idea to run a store cupboard. Now, the best thing to keep in store cupboards are obviously canned goods you can keep, but you can also keep dried goods. You, uh, goods. you can keep lentils and beans and peas and grains and things like that. Just a word of warning, if you're going to keep them for any amount of time, don't leave them in the packets because the packets are prone to getting damp. The packets are prone to splitting and spilling their contents over everything. So start getting together a collection of jars and when you have those jars... I was flicking a cat away from doing something very naughty then. I'm still watching you. That's better. Um, if, you, if you have something, if you have pearl barley, if you have red lentils, buy them in a packet by all means, but then empty that packet into a jar. Recycle the packet if you can in your area and the jar will keep insects out and pests out and it will enable you much more clearly to see how much you've got so you need to know when to replenish them. Now, obviously, salts, sugars, spices all need to be stored. Don't get so much that they're going to spoil because you're keeping them too long. And if you do keep any kind of store cupboard, make sure that you rotate it fully. But a store cupboard will help you if you suddenly decide in the course of the day you want to cook something. You might need to pick up some fresh ingredients, but the non-fresh ingredients should already be in your store cupboard, which makes life a lot easier. And it makes your ability to cook food at the last minute. You know, you decide 10 minutes before you're going to cook. You can do it that way. It's easy. Frozen vegetables are good if you live in a part of the world where power cuts occur a lot. A freezer with the doors closed. Frozen food is unspoiled for about 13 hours and it starts to disintegrate. So frozen food is good. Give it time to thaw out and then cook it nicely. Don't decide to thaw it just before you need it, otherwise it won't work. But a, a well-stocked freezer is a pretty good idea. Now, at the moment, lots of um, fresh foods are particularly pricey here in Europe because of the war and because of the weather and because of transport costs. 
Frozen food still represents a very, very good price. And you can look in the, in the freezer cabinet at your supermarket and come home with... Remember, if you buy things like um, frozen vegetables, there's no waste on them. So the cost you're paying per pound is, is pretty good, to be honest. Um, so have a good look at those and think about them. A well-stocked refrigerator is a good idea too, but please don't overbuy food. Don't have so much in the refrigerator that you have to throw away food, you know, five days after you bought it. That doesn't make sense. One good way around this is to make a stew or a casserole or a chilli or a curry about any vegetables that you've got in the fridge that need using up. You can be quite imaginative in what you do, but if you regularly shop on a Friday night, by the next Thursday, you want to be thinking about using up those vegetables. Make a, a stew, make a soup. If Thursday night is eating any food that is still left in the fridge, that you can do. So have a think about your week and when you get food in and when you eat food and how to avoid waste. Because if you want to live simply, everybody's business is making sure waste doesn't occur. So try and use things up. If you've got a lot of vegetables left, if you've got a whole bag of carrots and they look like they're not going to last another day or two, give them a good soak in water, give them a clean, chop them up, um, blanch them and freeze them yourself. Okay, it's very easy to do and it saves wasting. And you can have those in some casserole or stew at some other time. So that's well worth thinking about. Two other items that I've got on my list here is um, what to cook and how to involve other people in the process. So I'll say what to cook first of all. Whatever you want, but make sure you're being seasonal about it. Make sure that the amount of energy contained in the food is fitting with what time of year it is. Nobody wants to eat vast amounts of stodgy food in the middle of a heat wave and nobody sits, wants to sit down to a light salad-based meal in the middle of winter. So think very carefully. If the salad has to be designated to a side dish and you want something more substantial, think about that. Um, you might also want to consider a money-saving exercise. If you have real problems thinking about what to cook and when, try and come up with a rota of things. And this doesn't have to be a very fixed rota, but there, if there are seven evenings you have to cook in the week, it doesn't matter if five of them are fixed and two of them are more spontaneous. So if you decide, for instance, that Monday night is going to be pasta night at your house. There's nothing wrong with that. If you decide Thursday night is going to be curry night or chilli night, there's nothing wrong with that either. Families like that. Younger children do like that. Oh, it's, you know, it's Monday, it's pasta night. or something. Actually, it's Thursday, it's pasta night at my house. So usually, not always, but usually. You can change it, you can switch it around, and you can have some spare nights when you can cook something that nobody's expecting to be a bit of a surprise. That will help you with shopping, it will help you reduce waste, and it will help you uh, to plan your week. And the way to do it is the day after you go shopping, think of meals that are very good with fresh vegetables, because that's when they're going to be at their best. And the night before you go shopping, that's the time to think about maybe something that uses frozen vegetables 
or uses food that you've canned up from an earlier time and that too can help with your home economics as well as the cooking itself. And the other thing is who is going to be involved with the cooking. Now this is where personality comes in. Some people like to team cooking. They like to have loads of people in the kitchen and you do this and you do that and I'll do this. If you're that kind of person there's nothing wrong with that. It's fine. Other people hate team cooking because people do things you don't want them to do and people aren't ready when you want it and they really want to be in control of it themselves. I don't think there's any great problem with either one of those ways of doing it as long as you're clear in your own head which kind of person you are. And if your idea of pure hell is having three other people in the kitchen rushing around trying to do things, then don't do it. Say, no, I want to cook this myself. And if that's what you want to do, who's going to interfere with that? If they want their food on the table, they're going to go along with that plan. But there's a lot to be said, if you're an adult, for taking one of the younger people in the family, a child, a grandchild, I don't know, some, anyone but young, and teaching them about how to do things. And you can ask them to do things, as long as you're the boss. You can ask them to stir this. You can ask them to have a go at chopping that. You can ask them to have a, a, a keep an eye on things while you have to go to another room quickly. You can, as long as it's safe, of course. You can do all these things, and that's a really good idea. Children need to be involved in cooking at a very early age. Otherwise, when they have to go out into the world and fend for themselves, they will have no idea of what to do and they will end up eating takeaways or they will end up, you know, cooking beans in a saucepan, beans on toast five nights a week. If you can introduce them into very simple, straightforward cooking techniques earlier on, you will have achieved something. Now, a lot of people like to do all sorts of things in the kitchen and some of those things result in a lot of washing up. So you need to think about that. But sometimes it involves waste. And if you're getting a lot of waste from your kitchen, you need to consider how to get rid of it. Well, one of the best things to do is to stop storing things for compost. So if you've got vegetable peelings, if you've got, I don't know, little bits of um, nutshells or pea pods or anything, you can compost them. So if you've got a kitchen and a garden, you should be composting your waste from the kitchen. If you don't have a garden, you should look and see if there are community composting bins near you and make it one person in the family's job to take that food to the composting bin on a regular basis, especially in hot weather. If you have got chickens or goats, much of the food from the kitchen that goes to waste, that might go to waste, can go to feed your chickens. There's a few things chickens can't eat, there's a few things goats can't eat. Books always say chickens can't eat avocados, and I've always wondered whether that's true or whether that's one of those bits of information. Nobody has ever been able to tell me what chemical it is that is an avocado that's going to be toxic to chickens, so I don't know. There's probably somebody in Mexico that feeds their chickens on avocado all the time. If so, I'd like to hear from you. Save your scraps for the compost 
save your scraps for the chickens. Above all, try and shop so you're not going to have food waste. And if you see food is going to waste, start doing things about it. Now, we could talk about all the wonderful things you can do besides just cooking for meals. We can think about baking your own bread. We can think about bottling and pickling and preserving. So I'll be back on another occasion to talk about some of those longer term laying down things. Um, uh, although, strictly speaking, you're putting up... Did you know the origins of those words, laying down things, means those were things that had to be stored in the root cellar? And putting up things meant things you were going to can to put in a jar to put on a shelf. Strange but true. We'll come back to all those other activities that take place in the kitchen on another time. But for now, thank you very much for joining me in my kitchen here. And um, I hope your kitchen is a good place to be in. And I hope your meal tonight or tomorrow is going to be wonderful. And I hope you enjoy it all. Okay, nice to hear from you. Bye.